Welcome to All About Animals Radio. Today we're going to talk about horse racing wrongs. We're delighted to have Patrick Batuello with us from the non-profit organisation Horse Racing Wrongs from America. So hi Patrick, lovely to meet you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you and we're going to have a broad overview of racing and because a lot has been happening in UK racing and of course racehorses travel everywhere, you know, they've got passports more stamped than people really these days. So let's sort of dive into it and I think it's always good if we can start off with you know a bit about your organization how you got going and and how you started doing things very differently than other people sure so uh i was writing an animal rights blog for my local newspaper here in upstate new york this is going back to 2012 2013 i was trying to cover all the various animal related issues and when i started researching horse racing in in america two things jumped out first there was a dearth of information no one knew how many horses were dying at American tracks, let alone the circumstances. No one knew about the various cruelties. And second, there were no organizations, be they big or small, focused on racehorses. You know, we have um, circus protests or had circus protests. Fortunately, Ringland Brothers is no more. Uh, Animal testing, fur, factory farming, of course, and and, uh, greyhound racing. had There had been a group uh, focused on that for 20 years. So I just decided someone needed to do this. There was a void in the animal rights community and I stepped into it. So I do not have a horse background. My knowledge of horse racing was limited to just being a sports fan when I was younger. And because it is sold to us as a sport, just another sport, I did tune in to watch a firm in Seattle Slough go for the Triple Crown. And I was aware of Secretariat, who Secretariat was. Uh, So that's I had to learn as I went, and I was fortunate to connect with some outstanding people throughout America. Uh, two in particular really mentored me. I used to pepper them with with questions left and right on on horses, and um, I've, without boasting, have become an expert on the horse racing industry as the years have gone on. And this has all been done by factually finding out information. I mean, sure. I'm, so yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm the opposite to you. I was really brought up on a racetrack you know with my parents always took me to the races or at horses um what you know loved the movie secretariat you know far lap and all that kind of stuff um although far lap is a very sad story right. and it's only really in the last decade even I've seen something wrong so for you to take that step ahead maybe sometimes people that are not brought up right in it can see clearer maybe the rest of us have been just a bit too jaded you know, you know, I, we, still find, we still find that today, Yvonne. I have people who hate, detest horse racing, but grew up as fans mm-hmm. and they have a hard time shaking it. Uh, it's yeah. uh, even though they hate what's going on, they still love to watch these animals running, um, especially when you get to the triple crown season. Uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't have any of that going in. Um, we live in upstate New York, so we're about half hour away from Saratoga Racecourse, which is perhaps the preeminent track in the entire country. Okay. And I went up there a handful of times when I was younger in college, uh, just because it was a social thing to do. Not because I was interested in betting, but just it was the place to go in this area in the summertime. So that was my background, my knowledge of horse racing. And when I started filing Freedom of Information Act requests right off the bat with racing commissions around the country, looking for very specific information, I wanted to know the horses who died or were euthanized at that stage tracks. And I wanted details, full necropsy reports if I could get them. Um, I'm very much fact-based. So I knew going up against this Goliath of an industry that I needed to come armed with facts. And again, a dead horse is a dead horse is a dead horse. There's no refuting it. And so when we started getting this information in, even I was uh, shocked at the scale of the killing. So we estimate that over 2,000 horses are killed at U.S. racetracks every year. Over 2,000, that's about six every single day. Uh, so and, I, I and that's did not, not include, that's not including the ones dying in training or the ones that are just shit purely wastage. No, that that water. would be. I'm sorry. That would, just to clarify, that would include all track track deaths. So yeah. either racing, training, or back in the stall. Okay. So anything anything on the grounds. It does not include what you call wastage, the slaughter end of it. So yeah. when you start incorporating those numbers. 
we estimate that historically between 10 and 15,000 spent American racehorses are shipped to Canada and Mexico for slaughter. So put it all together, the deaths at the track, on the track, at the track, and the deaths at the slaughterhouse. I use the word carnage to describe what's happening in the American horse racing industry. I've been using it for years. I've never been seriously challenged by anyone within the industry. They know it's that bad. Oh, it is that bad. I mean, I've seen over the border slaughter in Mexico. I've made myself watch it from, you know, it's it's not a secret. Anybody can literally see a PETA video or anything else. Right, right. And the fact that in Canada, I don't know how many are getting slaughtered in Canada because they do have a big live export market to Japan. And, right. of course, Mexico, there are no there's no humane slaughter there they barely have any laws right you know when people say these horses are treated like kings you know in their lovely stables well number one a horse rarely wants to be in a stable you know it's a box it's a cage you know they're herd mammals um and secondly they walk out of those stables and straight onto slaughter trucks don't they yes and and you hit the nail on the head for me the worst of it is not death Uh, obviously the slaughter slaughter is an entirely different conversation but Mm -hmm. as far as the track is concerned the very worst of it is the confinement the intensive solitary confinement as you mentioned these are herd animals locked in a 12 by 12 box for 23 hours a day yeah again i see it as an animal rights activist as inherently cruel but when i Whenever I'm approaching one of the, the various issues in horse racing, I always try to get expert testimony. So I reached out to uh, a nationally known uh, animal behaviorist. He's actually uh, British uh, by birth, Nick Dodman, and uh, he's on our advisory board. And I was so heartened. The first conversation I had to invite him on to our board at the um, suggestion of another board member. First conversation we had about horse racing, he went right to confinement validated all of my instinctive, intuitive uh, feelings about it. He said that is the worst thing that happens to these horses. Uh, And the best way he could put it into context, he said, if you've ever read accounts of humans who have been kept in solitary confinement in prisons and the, uh, the terrible distress that they suffer, he said, that's what those horses are experiencing. So we see the same stereotypies that we used to see with the circus elephants, the, uh, the bobbing, the swaying for the horses. They do a lot of kicking and digging and even self-mutilation, wind sucking, cribbing. These are clear and unequivocal signs of mental and emotional anguish. And that to me is the worst because it goes on day after day, month after month, year after year. That is their life. It's, it's, it's horrible. And, you know, when people ask me about horse racing and, you know, what could we do to reduce the deaths? And I have an answer for that, of course. If I'm telling you that over 2,000 horses are dying, and let's say you got every reform that you possibly could ask for, and somehow you were to, to half that number. For years, we were told by the reformers in the industry, by the way, that America has the worst death numbers. And if it's double what it is in other countries. Now, I don't know that that's true because I don't have hard data from the UK, from France, from Australia. I know there are groups, of course, fighting that fight, um, but I, I like to compare apples to apples. So I don't know if it, if it is uh, significantly worse in America, but even if it is, even if we said it's, it's twice what it is in other countries, my question to them, to these reformers, these people who wanna see horse racing preserved, is a thousand dead horses acceptable? Are you okay with that? You know that you could never get down to zero. So you tell me what the acceptable loss ratio is for these for this business. What are you willing to tolerate for two dollar bets? And um, so you know, as far as the killing is concerned, but but when they ask me about reforming the industry, I always say, look, it, they'll never be able to address confinement. They'll never let these animals out in in, in an, uh, an open space to be able to socialize with their brethren uh, because they're assets, they can't afford that risk. So they're always going to be kept locked up like that. Therefore, horse racing is inherently cruel. It cannot be fixed or reformed and it must end. Even if, again, you take the deaths entirely out of the equation, the confinement alone is enough. It's because um, of the scale of it, isn't it? Recently, I remember seeing for sale um, a racing yard in, in this country 
and it was from a very well-known you know group one leading trainer mm-hmm. and I was quite shocked to read that there was something like a hundred stables and the site was four acres yes you know, it's, it's it, horrible it was truly horrible to, to yeah. think of those horses in there and then I remember seeing another trainer's yard a long time ago and it's a very small trainer you know not many horses and they had actually um because obviously they don't want their horses getting fat eating grass you know it doesn't help them when they're trying to run but this trainer had actually put in almost like a track system walkway where they could go out for two to three hours a day without scoffing their faces full of grass but the young horses could all go out and have a bomb about by themselves which was heartening and that was something that I thought okay you know fair play that they're doing it it didn't help the horses on the race course or the fact that they were getting ridden at three years old when their bones and their spine, which is the last thing to um, develop, doesn't happen until six years old. Right. And that's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, there was a horse last yeah, week absolutely. in the UK. We broke its leg. Uh, the bone was actually sticking out. Yep. Well, we see that all the time, Yvonne. So um, unfortunately, with the media and yep. be- because it's, because of the media, the public also, uh, there's an outsized focus on drugs in American race. There is in America, isn't there? That's, yeah. that's something it, that we don't get over here. Yeah, the suggestion is that all we need to do is clean this up like baseball with steroids and somehow mm. horse racing can be made acceptable. The primary reason, the primary reason by far that these horses die in such shocking numbers is their their bodies are unformed. They're they are, immature they're babies. By a, by years. So as you mentioned, a horse does not fully mature till six. The bones aren't done growing. The growth plates aren't done fusing. And the higher up the horse's body, as you said, the slower the process. So the bones in the spine and neck of all places are the last to finish. These horses are raced into or rushed into intensive training at 18 months and raced at two, which on the maturation chart is the rough equivalent of a six-year-old child. We testified before the New York State Senate back in 2019, uh, a bunch of us advocates, and along with us was a prominent equine vet here in New York, and he he talked about that. And one of the questions from uh, the senators was, well, what's the difference between that and putting our children in Little League or Pop Warner football? And he, without missing a beat, again, this is an expert, said these horses are going right to the Super Bowl. So it's that intensive, early grinding of those bodies. So the states that give me full necropsy reports, states like Maryland and Kentucky and California, I see time and again, four, three, even two-year-old horses. These are pubescents and adolescents dying with chronic conditions like osteoarthritis and degenerative joint disease, sometimes in all four limbs. And for many of these horses, they haven't even been raced a dozen times. So it's not a matter of, you know, we see horses who have been raced a hundred times can you imagine the condition of their bodies? But it's that intensive early grinding of those uh, unformed, immature bodies that leads to death at the track, uh, by and large. And the drugs do come into play, obviously, because there's there's inflammation and and pain that they need to control. But it's it's because of the way uh, they're rushed to the track. And and again, that's something that's not going to change. They're not not going to wait until a horse is five or six to begin training and racing them. Uh, it's never going to happen. It's cost prohibitive. So when I talk about the inevitability of death at the track, that's what primarily what I'm referring to. Can you tell us about the drugs used in American racing? Because, you know, when I've seen a race card and I've seen this horse is on, I want to say latex, would that be right? Lasix, right. Yeah. Uh, and, that's and, a very, yep, go ahead. And why, why or how did that even get started? You know, the fact right. that drugs are part of racing in america yeah well we have to first off we need to make draw a distinction between drugging and doping drugging are overages of legal medications okay Uh, things like um um, i'm losing my uh (laughs) sorry the the drug that they use for the uh the inflammation are you talking Uh, about butte yeah butte yeah that's what i was looking for um that's obviously, as you know, is a common drug, not yeah. just for race horses, but for all horses. Yeah. It's kind of, I, I've heard it likened to aspirin for humans. It is, yeah. Um, so if you have too much butte in your system, though, there's going to be an overage and that would trigger uh, a penalty. 
Doping, on the other hand, are illegal drugs. And we see uh, cocaine, caffeine, Viagra, things like that. Not as common, obviously, as the overages on the drugs. You mentioned Lasix. Lasix is an interesting uh, topic. So for some reason, and it's, it's really exclusive to North America, Canada, and the States, uh, Lasix is used or has been used uh, historically in up to 98% of all uh, starters. Uh, it's ostensibly used to control pulmonary hemorrhage, bleeding in the lungs. There are some within racing who swear by it. They say, look, this is therapeutic. Horses bleed, and we need to control that bleeding. Otherwise, it's cruel. There are others who say, no, no, no. Who are you fooling? Lasix is a diuretic. It helps the horse shed 25, 30 pounds of water weight prior to the race. Lighter equals faster. Uh, from my point of view, either way, it's an indictment of horse racing, right? If, if, in if in fact it is a performance enhancer and, he's, and, and you're withholding water from the horse prior to the race, he's shedding all that water weight. That's cruel, right? And if in fact it is you, it's controlling pulmonary hemorrhage, what does that say about the fundamental activity of what you're doing? Imagine. It, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, the last, thing, the last thing an athlete needs would be to sweat not have enough hydration because your muscles can't work without hydration. Your your body functions can't work without hydration. Um, right. You right. Know, your venters and everything are given, um, you know, lots of minerals and lots of mineral drinks, a bit like, you know, athletes here would take a, a, a drink to stay hydrated and stay, you know, get your right. electrolytes, I guess. So I, it'd be interesting to know how many, I mean, out of, you know, this countless death toll, are on that drug really because it you well, know, well like i said most the vast mixed. majority of horses are on the drug but i oh, don't I, I don't think that that plays a significant role in the horse okay. dying uh, again what i when i write about lasix and have in the past it's 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 just to point out that this is an indictment either way, whether yeah. whether it is truly therapeutic or not, it's an indictment. Uh, I always say, look, imagine if throwing a football or kicking a, a soccer ball or a football in your case, uh, or throwing a baseball uh, caused the athlete pain and discomfort, suffering, because that's what bleeding in the lungs does to a horse, correct? Yes. Uh, imagine yeah. if that, and you needed to control that pain, what would that say about your sport? Of course, you know, you look at it rationally, right. It's, it's absurd. So, uh, either way on Lasix, it's, it's, it's bad for horse racing. And, um, but again, I, I think, unfortunately there is too much attention paid to drugs overall and, and, and not enough on these other facts as we report them, uh, again, the osteoarthritis and degenerative joint disease. How do you, how do you justify that? How do you defend a two-year-old horse dying now that's not the reason he died by the way he broke a leg or snapped his neck for whatever the, the the proximate cause of death was but but along with that they noted in the necropsies that he was suffering from osteoarthritis that's it's it's insane there's no other word for it no it, it's absolutely terrible do you get much um government support you know do you get senators i think you have over there you know that are on the side of at least making the sport, I say, you know, vaguely, um, mm. kinder and and doing something. I mean, America's over the border slaughter is quite notorious. I mean, here, a UK racehorse shouldn't be slaughtered with a passport, but they just fly them abroad and that's how they get right. away. And it's thousands um, that, that mm -hmm. they do, especially Ireland. Ireland will send dogs to China and have them slaughtered. So, mm. you know, anything goes out of there. Um, so That's, do you get any government support? Is, are things improving in any way? And uh, they're not improving in a meaningful manner. Uh, okay. That said, there are people that, that are staffing these racing commissions who are good, genuine, compassionate people. I've talked to uh, several um, who are really trying to do a good job for the horses um, and be watchdogs. Uh, I, there's nothing significant that could be done to make this better. Um, that's why we have an unequivocal line here. Horse racing is cruel and it must end. It's simple. It's no different from dog racing. Um, in regard to how the animals are treated, it's the same exact thing. In fact, I argue that horse racing is worse because of slaughter. 
And yet here in America, there are just two dog tracks left in the entire country, both in West Virginia and even more telling it's prohibited on moral grounds by law in 42 states. And yet on the, on the other significant. Form, it's significant. And the other form of racing gets this cover under the banner of sport, the sport of Kings. Uh, the Kentucky Derby was just run the most exciting two minutes in sports. Again, sold to us as sport. And that's why our main focus as advocates with the public is to try to get people to just approach this with a fresh lens. Look at this objectively, uh, reasonably, uh, listen to what we're, we're, we're saying. And, and I'm confident that if they do, they'll see this for what it is, a simple animal exploitation and not a sport at all, of course. Now about, was it six or seven horses died in the last week for um, the big race? And I think, yeah, the, so, and I think uh, the favorite was scratched out of the race, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, so they had Churchill Downs, one yeah. of the top tracks in the country, had seven kills in 10 days. And as I was fielding media requests, the first thing I would say was that the, the cluster itself, seven in 10 days, is unusual. I'll grant that. Death at Churchill Downs, death at any track, though, is not. And so, again, I go back to the facts. Over the past five years, Churchill Downs has lost 126 horses. That's an average of 25 a year. Again, directly from the Racing Commission in Kentucky. So currently, a little for, a little over four months into the new year, they're at seven, those, those seven that we just talked about. So they're right on course to hit their historical average of 25. Not unusual at all. And, and it's really important that people understand that, that um, – uh, this happens every single day. As I mentioned, it's, it's, it's roughly six horses dying at American tracks every single day. I take it that American tracks haven't um, reduced in number. Are, you still, uh, actually, are they closing? They are, actually. It's a great question. Uh, a lot of people will tell us, so oh, you guys will never end horse racing and it's too big and uh, better to work with the industry to improve things. And I say, look, it's already contracting since the year 2000. And we have a page on our website. 41 tracks have closed around America and they've only opened three new ones. And those only because they're being heavily subsidized by taxpayers, which is another part of the story. Roughly 75 percent of the tracks in America, 75 percent are being propped up by corporate welfare. So if not for that money, those tracks would have closed years ago. Uh, so it's already contracting the full crop, which is the uh, number of new thoroughbreds that are registered to race each year with the jockey club, uh, is roughly a third of what it was in 1986. Uh, all other metrics, the uh, race days, races, the field sizes, um, they're all down. The ha handle, the amount wagered on horse racing is also down. Attendance clearly is down. Um, so it's happening as we speak. It's contracting. Uh, obviously, tracks like Churchill Downs and Saratoga, the Triple Crown tracks, uh, they're going to be the last to go. But I, I have no doubt that we are heading in the right direction. And what about the human element in this? Um, I don't know if this is still true, but I remember um, watching the UK horse racing program a, while, um, a few years ago, and they said it was different for jockeys and some stable stuff in America. They actually were paid only when the horse won or the horse got placed. And I wonder if that was added pressure, you know, to make, to basically be harder on the horses. You know, here they get paid, yeah. they win or I, lose. I don't think that's the case, Yvonne. I think that they, they get paid regardless. Right. Uh, you know, I really don't talk much about the human aspect simply because they are autonomous human beings who have a choice yeah. and the, uh, the horses do not. Um, that's not to say that I don't have sympathy for an injured uh, jockey. In fact, uh, I just had a, a phone call with a law firm out in California representing a jockey who was paralyzed from a fall uh, from the chest down. And the jockey actually recommended to his attorneys to, to contact me because I had reported on that, that death. It was the horse died, of course. And um, of course, I have sympathy for these people. Um, and, and I have sympathy for the people who work on the back stretches of these, of these tracks. And we get that question a lot. What about all the jobs that are at stake? If you get your wish. And well, I say, first, they, they can do other jobs. I, you know, I changed, job. I changed jobs twice in my life. You know, other people yeah. change jobs far more often, you know, you right. change jobs, don't you? 
Yeah. And, and, and this is how I answer it. I say, look, my, my grandfathers were both Italian immigrants. They didn't have an education. They didn't know the language. So when they came here, they took whatever jobs they could find. They taught me and my, my siblings work ethic. And I respect that. I respect the people who work on the backstretch. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is the vast majority of those jobs are not good. They're not good. Um, they're not well, well paid. Um, so I always go back to this, though, when we're talking about jobs in relation to the horse racing industry. First off, their numbers are wildly inflated. Uh, they throw out ridiculous numbers as far as how many jobs are at stake. But the tracks are sitting on valuable real estate and yeah. they can, real estate that can and will be redeveloped. I've got a, a page on the site uh, talking about how these tracks uh, for the past 20 years that have closed and what they've become and uh, all kinds of jobs were created in the wake of those tracks closing. That's the capitalist system, correct? Uh, one yes. door closes, another one opens. But I always bring it back. To, and I, had, I did get this question, by the way, at the New York State Senate. The senator was representing the Saratoga region, of course, and she was talking about uh, all those jobs that were at stake. And, I, and, and this is how I closed it. I said, but ultimately... Each of us needs to answer this simple question. Do you think it's wrong that we are abusing and killing horses? And there's no question that we are abusing and killing horses for lousy $2 bets. And if you say, yes, I do think that's wrong, then I'm sorry, but money and jobs have no place in the conversation. And she really didn't have a retort to that. No, there isn't. Sometimes I wonder, you know, if you stood outside a race course and instead of saying, look, people, will you please, you know, take pity on the horses and everything else. If you just said, um, you know, have a lovely day. How many do you mind dying today? Yeah. That's, that's, really, that's it's, right. you know, it, it's that line, isn't it? Right. I think, I think people have forgotten to have a line that they that they think, actually, no, that's too much. And especially, when it, especially when it comes to horses. Um, Unfortunately, I think you're right. Uh, you know, when we're, we're up at Saratoga, mostly they're guys that have been drinking and they're They'll be real obnoxious and they'll be laughing at our signs. We'll have a sign that says, you know, 12 horses have died here already this summer. And, uh, and they start laughing and, and uh, it's hard not to engage, uh, especially when they're being obnoxious like that and laughing about animal suffering. Um, we're never going to reach people like them. No, you're not. But I, right. But I would, I, you know, our target, especially up in Saratoga, are the families. Because, again, like I said, it's mostly a social thing. Um, and when you're bringing your children in to a racetrack, I want those children to see our signs and I want them to ask their parents later on that day, why were those people out there? Why were they chanting? Why were they upset about what's happening? Um, and I want those, those parents to have an uncomfortable conversation with their kids. And so that's what we're, we're again, we're only asking people to just rethink this rethink you know how many traditions have we had um, as human beings that on upon further review were rightly deemed immoral uh so that's no no excuse we can't just I, I like the family them. aspect because when i think back when i took my kids when they were tiny you know it was a fun afternoon get the races and they had the face painting and maybe a bouncy mm -hmm. castle and right. it, you know they had little ponies and it was only then that i thought well you know, I'm saying, you know, watch out if you take your pony and you ride it past, I don't know, a flappy bag that's on the side of the road, you know, don't frighten your pony. And then there's a whopping great bouncy castle, you know, right. a circus by yeah. the side of these horses. And it's more, far more now full of drunks, race courses. Yes. I remember mm -hmm. some people kicking bins over some middle-aged guys and um, it, you just thought it, all of a sudden, when you change right. the way you look at things, the things you look at change, doesn't it? And it was a case exactly. that actually I wouldn't put my own horses amongst all that. You know, I'd be horrified, you know, that yes, they, they would exactly. have to endure that, and especially as one, two-year-olds. And then if you go down to the start in these races, and, of course, they ban it now that you can't, but they used, used to be able to go down. And mm -hmm. when you go down and all you know you see the jockeys first of all all very nicely taking the job the horses down all nice and quiet and the commentator will say you know that all oh, they're trying to make sure that such and such gets down there nice and quietly so they're all ready but you go down and listen to them in the stores and hear how loud and how the jockeys are jeering up those horses and you know ready for the you know 
for the exit and it mm-hmm. doesn't always play to their strengths but it's noisy for a young horse who's two three years old who right. has come out of a i'll say professional place where they all line up every morning for their gallops and you know everything's done so and so they they almost step into another world and they got yes. there absolutely and, and then it is nothing you know i remember listening to um monty roberts years ago mm-hmm. you know he's a great racing fan and you know trains the queen's horses over here and all this kind of stuff when her majesty was alive and he tried for years to improve racing i think he's got some american racehorses and they don't get ridden with a whip but he again he's one of those people and when you say you know you can't make the changes good enough I think in some ways it shows because, you know, how many people or what would it take for everybody to wait until the horse was mature, everybody to not ride with a whip, everybody to make the stall safer. I mean, you literally, it's not even going to be the same sport anyway, you know, all those changes were done. So there are, you know, even those that are kind and trying to do things nicely, it just shows that, it's not really going to ever happen. So all you're right. going to do is watch these bodies pile up and these poor horses like the one here the other day, um, his bones sticking out of its leg. Um, and then I course, see that all the time. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think the hardest part, the hardest part of the year for me is uh, January, February, when no one's talking about racing. I start to get my FOIA documents in uh, each, you know, I, I usually file twice a year. But for the second half of the year, I start getting them in, in in the dead of winter and I start reading through these reports. And as you just said, it's not just that the horse died. It's the details. And I have a page on the website. It's called How They Died, sampling of some of these horses who died uh, last year uh, at U.S. tracks and severed spines, broken necks, um, they bled out from the nostrils. Uh, so it's obviously, like you said, compound open fractures, um, shattered into multiple pieces. This is the language that I get from the racing commissions. And then back in the stalls, people don't even think about the stall deaths. That's something, by the way, that has changed because of us. When we first began, uh, the apologists would come on to the website and go, it's unfair that you're reporting stall deaths as, as respo- responsibility of the industry. And I, I always use an historical analogy. I'm a big civil war buff, history buff in general, American civil war. And we were taught as children that 650,000 so, uh, so odd, uh, odd soldiers died in the civil war. Um, most people know that figure, but most people are unaware that two thirds of those soldiers died of disease in the camps. No historian has ever tried to draw a distinction between a, a soldier who died of dysentery and a soldier who died of a gunshot wound, nor should they. And the same thing applies to horse racing. We're talking about still active horses in between races, most of them still pubescence or adolescence at best dying in their stalls of colic and laminitis and pleural pneumonia. And often we see in the, in the reports found dead in the morning, quote, found dead in the morning. The horse died all alone by himself in his stall. Sometimes they can't even pinpoint a cause. So that has changed. So uh, now it's just accepted. We're talking about all kinds of track deaths, racing, training, and stall are all included. And that's largely because of the work that we've done. We drew a hard line. Absolutely, the industry is responsible. And anyone who says that comes on the site and goes, well, how, you know, horses uh, can and do colic anywhere that horses are kept. That's true. But again, I go back to my, my, uh, my research. I, I have scientists uh, saying that horses are at a higher risk Race horses, I'm sorry, are at a higher risk of de- developing colic than other horses because of the way they're fed, uh, how they're kept, etc. So, um, again, it's it, it, it's in in its totality, we're talking about just a horrific industry from beginning to end. And and one thing that I, I did want to talk about that most people don't even think about. So last summer, we had a professional photographer taking photos of us out in front of Saratoga protesting. She said she was going into the track to take pictures. She was going to take pictures of the fans. But Nicole, my partner, said, uh, "Would you, if you have a chance, take pictures of the horses' heads. 
all the paraphernalia on the heads, the chains and the tongue ties and the blinders. And he, and she did, she took these really strong, powerful pictures. I see animal cruelty. Okay. But I'm just an activist and they would dismiss me. Uh, This is what we do with horses, right? So we sent them to our advisory board and uh, Dr. Dodman um, said, it's a little out of my wheelhouse, but I'll reach out to a colleague from Tufts who specializes in equine ear, nose and throat and especially the bits and how they affect horses. He was a little reluctant at first because he didn't want to be associated with animal rights. Uh, And I I, I said, look at Dr. Cook, I'm just asking you to um, write what you see. That's it. Just write what you see. He wrote a devastating statement, Yvonne. It's on our website. If you do a search for uh, bits or cruelty of bits, you'll find it. Uh, he, he said that all of those horses that were being raced that day, this is at Saratoga. Again, this is the elite. All of those horses are going to not only feel pain from the bit, this piece of metal shoved up into the soft palate of their mouths, but also because horses are obligate nose breathers and in the wild have to have a tight lip seal when they're running, uh, these bits prevent that. So all of those racehorses, and again, these were his words, he said, are going to have feelings of asphyxiation, suffocation, and he likened it to waterboarding. Can you imagine? One thing for me to try to say that, but here's an expert. I, I defy any, any one of these racing people to come on and say, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He does. He's an expert. So um, it's something that no one ever thinks about. Bits. That's, that's uh, right. And, and yet... If you, t- if you take the same horse-loving people that would go to the races, they wouldn't do the same to their horses at home. You know, they, right. want, to see their, they want to see their horse at home lived to 20, 30 years old. Um, right. I, I would imagine, and I'm not, I'm not one for assuming anything generally, but I'd imagine that probably less than 5% of r- world racehorses ever see 20 years old or see a retirement. I would see, uh, say it's would maybe the really good broodmares that they want to protect their the lineage and you know the elite stallions you know of the the really big owners and yes you do have um some owners that these days they do run very good um rehoming mm. but it's tiny it's a tiny fraction and then to get to that rehoming they got to survive they i got agree to survive long enough mm-hmm. you know and it's not many and this is the thing as well i mean i find it heartbreaking knowing horses so well that they're not going to see a retirement you know i hate it when i see um kids ponies passed around from pillar to post and i think yeah. geez, you know did that pony ever get a break or a thanks you know or get yeah. that retirement you know and i think the other and it's we need more people who have horses to really stop almost supporting the other industries they sort of think it's them and us and it's not if we stop the worst of it we actually protect our own you know hobbies right our care it's not if they stop someone's going to come after us it's not and i think that is another really big issue when you're trying to stop cruelty of animals it's a bit like trying to stop an animal an elephant in a zoo who's bobbing backwards and forwards and swaying backwards you're not trying to stop sanctuaries where people can still have sustainable tourism but you exactly stop that and there's a murky water and especially in these climate times and everything else things are going to change you know i don't know about in america i'd imagine say that all the extreme weather i mean we you know for us we're Mm. we're, you know we don't do heat very well and loads of racing was cancelled last summer when we had a nearly 40 degree heat rate wave Mm. and you know it's going to be the same thing isn't it so it is almost their own industry is going to become unsustainable it already is unsustainable, I would argue, that uh, yeah. the demographics are really bad for horse racing. They don't draw the younger generations. Now, the reason for that is twofold. One, there is there is more competition for the gambling dollar, uh, which is ironic because the racing industry, when they go to state legislatures and ask for these taxpayer handouts, they argue that it's unfair. We can't compete with lotteries and casinos. Uh, when they had a monopoly on legal gambling in America for decades. Um, But clearly there is more competition. And now it's even worse because we have mobile sports betting. I don't know if you have it in the UK, but uh, you could bet on basketball, football, baseball on on your phone. Yeah. 
Um, so clearly the younger generations are more interested in that than they are in learning how to handicap a horse race. But the other part of it is that there are just changing sensibilities, right? Um, where you don't have to be a vegan animal rights activist to look at this and say, why are we still whipping horses so I can place a bet when I can go to a casino or I can now bet on my phone, I can bet on basketball, um, different sensibilities, Clearly, and, and a lot of that has to do with the information at our fingertips that uh, that I didn't have growing up. And I think it's wonderful. There's just so, you know, you, all you have to do is punch in a search on horse racing cruelty and you're going to find sites and uh, people bringing it to light. So uh, they know that long term, this is a losing proposition. Now, I say that uh, and Churchill Downs is boasting that they set a record and amount wagered on the Kentucky Derby Saturday. But that's an anomaly. That's a, that's a isolated incident, you know, instance. We're talking about a handful of races over the course of a year uh, that are truly successful and uh, draw the masses. Uh, racing day in and day out is a failing proposition. They know that. And uh, so long term, we're in good shape. We just need to really work on these subsidies because, again, as long as these laws are on the books, they're going to laugh all the way to the bank. Um, but and the way it works, I'm not so sure, I'm not sure if you know, but they 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 create what are called racinos. It's a combination racetrack casino at these tracks. Um, they establish these slot parlors, basically. Um, and so people betting on the slot machines, a portion of that money, instead of going back to the state where it's supposed to go for education for children, it's being used to prop up the racing operation. So people are unwittingly supporting horse racing. They have no interest in horse racing, but they go up to these slots parlors and, and are supporting racing. As long as those laws are on the books, uh, these, these, these horse people are going to laugh all the way to the bank. So we're working on that here in New York. We, uh, we have legislation to reverse those subsidies and we're hoping that we can do it in other states also. That's really good. I mean, that is amazing what you're achieving yeah. and what you've done. I mean, well done you. I mean, the, again, you know, no, wouldn't have even thought that. I don't think anybody knew that. And it's things like that, that especially in a cost of living crisis, you know, I think people right. are becoming more caring towards, you know, the increased poverty. I think everybody knows everybody that's, yeah. maybe, maybe their life was okay. And then maybe, you know, as we know, things happen in life. You know, it's not your your, your life plan to, for something to go wrong, but it right. does. And living expenses is expensive You're so right. no, nobody wants to see anything taken away from you know kids doing well or families or anything else and especially not for an elite industry that right. as you say you don't even need it if you want to gamble or anything you know which isn't the best use of anybody's money but right you know there's football there's hockey there's basketball right. that's, that's what we say don't back don't gamble on the backs of suffering animals yeah uh, uh, enough, enough. That's, that's, uh, you know, our, one of our taglines is, uh, you know, if you want to, you want to bet, bet, but not on animals. Do you, just sort of a final sort of thing, really, I think mm. we've covered an awful lot is about the over the border slaughter. Is, is your organization, I know there are other organization, organizations that do that, but do you kind of highlight that? Or we do. You do. Yeah. So when I, Again, when we first started, um, slaughter on U.S. soil had just shut down completely uh, six years prior. So 2007 was the last time we had uh, functioning slaughterhouses. So now we ship them. But there were two studies and only two studies that had been done to try to identify the breeds. And one study had 19% of the total American horses going to slaughter were thoroughbreds. And I use thoroughbreds as synonymous with racehorses. Uh, yeah. It is. And another one had it at 16%. So at the time, we were shipping well over 100,000 horses to Canada and Mexico to be slaughtered. So a quick check of the math, we're talking anywhere between 16 and 19,000 former racehorses, thoroughbreds only, mind you. We're not you know, there are standard breads and quarter horses also uh, going to slaughter. Uh, so clearly you can see how these numbers uh, get out of control quickly. Um, we also talk about what happens at the slaughterhouse. So yeah, full disclosure, I'm vegan uh, and I don't believe we should be slaughtering any animal for food, but it is uh, that much worse if it's possible for horses because they are flight animals and they get to the, and, and, and be, they get to the slaughterhouse 
Uh, also, I think uh, anatomically, the brains are, are toward the back of the head. So it's more difficult to achieve a, uh, a true kill shot, either with a rifle or that retractable metal bolt. So often it takes multiple tries. There is undercover video from Canada showing this man shooting a 22 caliber rifle at a horse in the, uh, in the kill pen. Um, and the horse is flailing because he's been hit multiple times, hasn't been outright killed or rendered unconscious as he's supposed to by law. The man just takes nonchalantly walks across the floor to get more ammunition, takes his time getting back into position. Meanwhile, the horse is just uh, is dying an excruciating death. Um, so often they're bled out and butchered, uh, sometimes while still conscious. Uh, it's, it's terrible. There's this one quote. I don't have the whole quote in front of me, but to paraphrase, it's, it's from a, uh, prominent Canadian equine uh, advocate uh, who did a lot of undercover work at those Canadian slaughterhouses. And she said, it broke her, what broke her heart the most was because these animals are so trusting and grew up, lived amongst human beings with that, that relationship. Um, they would rush to the sides of these pens to, uh, to, to try to greet these slaughterhouse workers who were going to kill them, looking for a friendly face looking for someone. And this is after being stuck, uh, stuck on a, a, a crammed truck for, they can go up to 28 hours by law without food, water, or rest. At that point, they're just meat waiting to be uh, slaughtered. So it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I, I mean, I call it equine hell, the slaughterhouse. There's no other way to put it. Um, and that's, that's the, the end game for a majority of American racehorses. That's the end game. And we try to bring that up when we're out there protesting. We'll tell them, even at Saratoga, most of the horses racing today will end up at the slaughterhouse. Are you comfortable with that? Um, so it's, it's, it's more than just what happens at the track. And I think as well that when we're told, you know, how much the stable staff love these horses and the jockeys and the trainers mm -hmm. love these horses, I like to ask the question, um, you know, in my mind, are you leading them into slaughter? You know, are you calming them as, you know, the bolt, mm -hmm. the gun, whatever is, yeah. is doing and when they can smell death? And that's the thing, isn't it? Love doesn't, shouldn't yeah. end in the slaughterhouse. And of course. It's horrible. It, it, it is completely horrible. And these yeah. horses deserve so much better. They mm -hmm. really do. You know, it's, um, yeah. They do. They it's, do. I, I, I couldn't it's a, agree It's more. a worthwhile cause never to support this industry and, you know, just quite simply ask for a bit of kindness. Right. You know, and, and, you know, treat every animal like, you know, they're your pet, really. You know, there's a reason pets don't go to a slaughterhouse. All right. Exactly. You know, there's, a reason, there's a reason you don't hit your dog when, you know, you walk in it in the park. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's a similar thing, isn't it? And that's the um, thing you've got to break down that barrier of almost a a horse on a race course is different mm -hmm. to a horse in your field. You right. know, if you wouldn't do it to that one, you don't do it to that one. Yeah, and I say that all the time regarding whipping. Yeah, uh, if you saw someone whipping his dog in the park, you would call the police, and that yeah. person would be arrested on the spot for felony animal cruelty. Yeah, at the racetrack, it's right there in, in, in full public view and it's yeah. considered part of the, the tradition. Um, so again, you just try to bring these things to the public's consciousness, uh, bring awareness to what is happening and hoping that in their quiet moments, they will think about this and again, approach it with a fresh lens and uh, see it for what it is. And uh, again, it's not the worst thing that we do to animals clearly, uh, by scale, we're talking about factory farming or uh, animal testing, um, but there's just no justification, is there? I no, mean, we're and about it doesn't all need entertainment. To make, yeah, it doesn't all need to end on the same minute, on the same day. It just all needs to scale down and, right. you know, right. and and just calm down and stop and, right. you know, just rethink it. Right, you know, absolutely. We can, we can live alongside and still you know, keep pets and everything else. It's just a case of let's have a rethink here. You know, a we, rethink. There's no, point having science, you, there's no point having science if you don't follow it. Um, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Do you know, we've talked about, I think, an awful lot today. And, 
you know, it's it's really good to have this discussion because this is one of those discussions that is kind of in your mind and it's never really out there. And again, it's about as you as you you know have done so very well, presented the facts, and that is the change in how people that want to you know change government laws, which is what you're doing. And you, you really go from the ground up. You know, you stand outside race tracks, but you're also trying to change laws. And I take my hat off to you for that. And I hope our listeners, you know, can take an awful lot from this. And again, you know, if you can add a letter of support or just do something that backs, you know, organisations such as yourself up. And on your website, which is horseracingwrongs, I think, dot com. Is that right? Uh, dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Um, facts are on there. You know, facts. and again, it's one of those things. Organizations such as South are there to help people. And it's to help people, um, you know, spread awareness, share the information. Because if everybody shares a bit of it, one or two people pick it up. And with our internet that actually can do a good job, it's amazing how far you can reach. You know, and... I think, you know, we'd all love to be able to just help in any way we can. Absolutely. And and the animals don't have any voice, right? We we, exactly. we have to be we have to be their voice. As Nicole, she puts it perfectly, she said, for over 150 years, these these horses suffered in silence and died in anonymity. And we are finally giving them uh, representation. And that's all we're asking people to do is to join the fight any way you can, whether it's just sharing our posts or uh, writing a letter to the editor, but that's still a very effective way to advocate um, joining a protest, whether, you know, if you're in America, obviously we, we, you know, we will help you uh, find a protest or start a protest, uh, but anywhere that horses are being raced in the UK, uh, in Australia, uh, wherever, there, we, we have to rise up and tell people that this is wrong. This cannot stand. And look at, I always say every great social movement starts in the streets, right? Whether it's civil rights or women's rights or uh, um, sexual orientation rights, whatever. It always starts in the streets with protests. You have to voice your outrage. You have to let the public know that there's something wrong going on. And that's what we're doing with animals and horses uh, specifically. It is. Thank you ever so much for joining me today, Patrick. I really appreciate it and the opportunity to meet you. Thank you Thank so you. much for having me.